Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. In part one, which was also available today, we talked about how to do your own moonshot and why it's important. Even though everyone tells you you can't, it makes it even more important that you try. And in part two, we're going to talk about what's going on in the 2024 elections and what's going on in the economy right now. All right. So tell me what is up with the economy and what, you know, can we start gaming 2024 elections? Oh, Jesus. Um, all right. Why don't we go with the easy part, which is what's going on in the economy. So a couple things in the data. So a little background, right? Again, if you haven't heard me on previous interviews, um, with my, I have a partnership with the largest data collection analytics and AI company in America. Uh, in our database, we have 240, Amer- 240 million American consumers, 550 million plus connected devices. We're tracking 10 billion with a B, 10 billion online purchasing decisions every day and a trillion searches every day. And so we are, you know, for the first, I guess, year of the pandemic, we were putting out free reports on what's going on with the consumers and the economy and, you know, all the trends, everything that was changing uh, eventually, I just got too damn busy with work, and I just couldn't put these things out for free all the time. So, um, but we are still looking at the data and helping our own clients on this. And a couple of things that are popping right now that I think are super interesting. Um, I can go macro or micro. How would you like me to start? Well, that's an interesting question because my, yeah. so so let's just define those terms because so micro is might be something like oh. What what business might I should I start right now? No, it's kind of like what consumers are most concerned about in the economy right now. And then the micro is for the clients we work with. We're sending seeing certain marketing trends right now that okay. are leaving that people are spending a lot of money on that they shouldn't, and a lot of platforms that they should be spending on money on right now um, that they're not. Let's start with macro. And can I guess a little bit? Okay, go ahead. So I think consumers are worried about inflation. Mm. I, I think consumers are worried about um, supply chain, i.e., are they going to get yes. the things that they would like? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they are worried about 
I want to say they're worried about employment, but not in the usual way. They're not going to be worried that they're not going to be without a job, but the job market is so weird right now. It's well, never I want to talk weird. about that. That's something okay. I really want to get in with you with, but yeah. So okay. you want me to start so, there? Yeah, let's go. All right. I'm, how about this? Can we listen? Let's gamify this for a second. Okay. Sure. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the percentage you think it is. Okay. All right. The question that we've asked and modeled into our data was whose medical opinions do you trust in regard to whether or not you would be willing to get the COVID 19 vaccine? Okay. So the opinions you trust the most, right? Politicians, what do you, what percentage do you think on a scale of zero to 100? Zero. No, I mean, realistically. I, realistically, why, why would anyone trust a politician on medical stuff? But okay, what? 15%. Okay, 3.3% right now. Yeah, so close That's to the zero. trust <laughs> yeah. factor. Uh, Fauci. Uh, that'll go with 10 to 15%, only because he, you, you always have to look at, whenever anyone tells me anything, it's not that I'm paranoid or dis, or I distrust people, but I always ask myself, well, what is their agenda? And ideally, you want them to be either agendaless or have an agenda similar to yours, really agendaless. And Fauci has too many agendas. And I'm not always, I'm not saying bad or good. I, I really don't know enough. And other people have done far more research on this. But it does seem to me he, at the very least, has a political agenda. He likes the position he's in. And but. Trump had a political agenda and he got 40, you know, 8% of the vote, right? So, I mean, everybody's got a political agenda that's out there, right? So you're you're not close on that one. It's 35.1%. Okay. But that makes sense because the vaccinated and the people that are demanding vaccinations are probably all behind him. It probably right. represents about 35% of the population right now. Right. Not, I understand the majority of people are vaccinated, but there's a lot of people vaccinated right now that say, we should be free to have our own choices, even the people that are vaccinated, right? Right, right. So, um, okay, uh, the media, who's medical, uh, the media expressing medical opinions on the COVID-19 and whether you'd be willing to get the vaccine or not. If this was 1975, I would yeah. say 80%. Yeah. But in today's day and age, I'm still going to go with 10 to 15% because everybody with a brain knows that every single media outlet now is biased. Yeah, on either side. Yeah. 3.2% trust. Okay. Isn't that nuts? Politicians and media, 3.3%, 3.2%. That means I, like 90, we're talking 96% or more and, do and not trust. And, and let me just comment on that for a second. And I could be wrong about 1970, but it seemed to me that the reason the media was more neutral and more trustworthy is that there were really only three or four news outlets uh, that were significant right. and they were so large and so powerful that they didn't have to cater to the interests of a political agenda. Mm -hmm. So they were a lot like journalists didn't vote because they were, they, they really were took it seriously. Their, their need to be neutral and unbiased. Right. But right. now, I mean, I even noticed this as a writer and a podcaster and so on. If I wanted to have like 20 times as many listeners or followers, I would go either full yeah. Full-blown left-wing or full-blown right-wing? Just go full-blown Bitcoin. <laughs> right, or, or full-blown Bitcoin, because that's another <laughs> agenda as well. It doesn't have to be just two. But um, <laughs> but I don't I do not do that. I have respect for my listeners and, yeah. and respect for myself. And uh, uh, But because of economic reasons, media outlets, you know, they're multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. companies. They've had to take uh, an unbiased view in order to keep making a profit, unfortunately. Sure. So there's, they can't be trusted on anything. And I'll give one more thing to unpack. Uh, you know, throughout the years, 
media outlets have sometimes, I've sometimes done something for good or for bad that has generated articles about me. And not out of, let's say hundreds of articles written about me, not a single one has been a hundred percent true. They've always contained very obvious, often malicious yes. misrepresentations. So if that's just me noticing it, that means everybody must notice a it. Every article that's ever I've ever had on me has missed so many things. And I'm like, I told them this. Why did right. they just I've ignore That's what I say too. I've told them this. Yeah. And they repeated it back to me. Right. They still maliciously lied in some cases. In some yes. cases it might be just stupidity. But uh, but I, I think nobody could trust the media. If, if if I can't even trust it on something as simple as an article on myself, how do I know any Correct. article on anybody else is accurate? So, so yeah. yes. Okay. So personal doctor is number one uh, in the trust factor, and it's at 55%. Which is very low for personal doctors, I would say. Yeah, I think there's a lot of distrust right now, right? Yeah. Family and friends being the ones that people go to to whether or not they should get vaccinated or not is at 27%. That, those are the top ones. I don't have any more than that. Um, I, I would but think I thought family and friends would be more because when I look at my Facebook feed, of course, it seems like it's almost 50-50 people arguing about yeah. vaccine mandates. And it's like very smart people on on both sides. If you just look at your friends and family, if you look at my friends and family, you would be very confused because it's like they're all like very smart people and they say completely opposite things. And, and that's it, why it confuses they only me. trust a portion of them. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, 71.4% of Americans feel like they are struggling right now in the economy. That's so interesting too because there's also – uh, the rich are getting richer type of thing. Well, that's it. There's a 20, what, 28.4% or 28.6% uh, is like, this is exponential growth period. I mean, Elon Musk is worth $300 billion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is insane. I don't even know how to wrap my head around that. Like that's insane. And, and I'm not, I'm not a wealth inequality person. I think if anybody does well, everybody does well, yeah. but, but clearly Maybe not. Like, what are people worried about when they're when they're worried? Economy. I mean, they're just worried about where the economy is going. And and the the, the ultimate one that I wanted to bring to you and, and get get your feedback and talk to you about is the labor market. I'm convinced it's a one of the biggest disruptions that's going on right now in my own businesses. I'm like very aggressively, proactively trying to figure out my own labor market. I mean, we've you know obviously we we've, we've gone all remote we have uh, unlimited vacation days we're we're about to implement some things at the end of the year that are incredibly incentivizing for people to work with us but that's because i have to get ahead of the the curve i want to take care of people i've always wanted to take care of people but the labor market is insane right now with people yes. i mean we we would here's an example um we were looking for an account manager recently uh, for our corporate marketing agency and we typically get about 27 30 resumes for it we got two and one of them sure. wanted, you know, we were going to, um, you know, it was some, you know, I, I can't do the salary because people will listen to this sure. that know me. But the, the person was wanted to double their salary to work for us. They said, I'll, I'll interview, but you have to double what you're listing the salary for right now. Well, that was uh, one of them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the you know, two. that's happening in every single industry. It is. It's happening whether you're, you know, uh, uh, you have to be... A, at expert level to work for Phil, I might add, or if you're a programmer or if you're, yeah. but all the way, you know, restaurant workers, uh, house workers, whatever, uh, it's happening in every industry. Yeah. And I'll, it's very simple. What happened is this is what I said at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and I wrote about this too in an article, 
the pandemic accelerated everything that was already going yes, to happen. Correct. So if you were going to get a divorce in 10 years, you got a divorce in one year. If you were going to sell your business in 10 years, you sold it in one year. If you uh, were going to quit your job in five years, you quit or were fired that year. And not only that, it wiped the slate clean. There was no, all, all lifestyles were put on hold. So you had a chance, but, but you weren't put on hold. Your brain wasn't put on hold. You, you still need a life and a style. So you had a chance to think, well, what is the life I want to lead? And you could say, well, I don't need to spend whatever it is, 50,000 a year, hundred thousand a year to live in New York city. I could spend 20,000 a year mm -hmm. to live in a suburb of Kansas city and be around my family and be around people I love and maybe do something online. Like, you know, there's there people always write about these so-called side hustles and this gig economy, or, or I could work. Well, you remote. just, oh, hold on. Yeah, I mean, right, the side hustle is real. What you have as a business owner, if you're listening to this right now, you have to create that in your company because the people that work for you don't want to do the same job every single day doing the same thing. They want to have a diverse portfolio of the things they want to work on, and that's how you're going to keep them. So what we try to talk about internally with, with our team is like, how do we get you to do a bunch of different things of the things you like to do, right? Now, there's always some stuff you don't like to do. You're going to have to do some of that. But for the most part, how do we give you this diverse portfolio to make you feel like you're an independent contractor within our own company? Like that, I'm trying to redefine how it looks, and I've never thought about it because I've been like, Hey, we're going to have a great culture and all that. Well, it's hard to do culture when no one's together anymore. No, I, I agree. So what, what, you, what you have to do, and I've always tried to do this with every company I've started, mm -hmm. is you, the, the, the job of the founder in part is you have to provide a motivating purpose, a vision. You have, I always imagine that people working with me, uh, and they always work with me, nobody works for me, people working with me, um, I want them to call their parents every night and say, mom, you can't believe what I did today. It's so great. And I want them to see that the opportunity is not rising up within a company. That's a stupid opportunity. The, the opportunity is rising up in terms of life. Like this is going to make my life better. It doesn't mean I'm going to, it doesn't mean an employee is going to stay with you forever, Phil. They're right. going to go on. You have to train them to go on and beat mm -hmm. you and, mm -hmm. and become better than you and find out what they really want to do. And, and and hopefully you get to still do it with them, um, but maybe not. Yeah, the, the, the factor that we saw was like, with, so we have about 40, 40, 45 employees at any time. What we kept seeing was, for years, culture was built on connection. Like, that was it. You know, how do we make better connections? How do we do things together, get to know each other, serve each other, all that kind of stuff. But because of the work remote issue right now, the connection's gone. And the culture has to be built on individual purpose. What's your individual purpose in this company? And are well, and, we serving that? And, and, and let me address that because there's a, there's, there's, this is where corporate culture, even entrepreneurial culture, intersects with the science of positive psychology. Mm. So there's three components of well-being. Community, freedom, mastery. So community is you feel like part of your community. This is what you're calling culture. Freedom is a large percentage of your decisions you make on your own and not because other people right. made them for you. And mastery is you feel that dopamine rush on a learning curve as you're improving something. Mm -hmm. And I feel a successful corporate culture, the way to attract and build colleagues is by giving people an opportunity for, for mastery, freedom, and community. So for instance, if someone 
getting better at, I'll just take like a restaurant. Is someone getting better at understanding how even a waiter or a busboy, are they getting better at understanding how a restaurant works? Can they rise mm -hmm. up and do their own restaurant? Can they get ideas for businesses to start in the restaurant space? So that's mastery. Freedom, are they getting paid more? Or are, they, are there opportunities to get them to be paid more? Uh, and community is, do you have good people working in the place mm -hmm. or, or, you know, somehow communicating with each other enough that they feel part of a, a community. It could even be a community bigger than, than your business. Like if someone works in cybersecurity, send them to cybersecurity conferences so they feel part of the overall hacking community and, and so on. Yeah, it's just crazy. And so, and that's gonna, that's never going away now. Like people have realized, oh, I just could move home, live near my parents, spend one fifth the price, make more money. Why should I go back to some stupid marketing job? Exactly doing the same thing, having to commute, you know, let's say 30 minutes each way, it's an hour of my day, and then I got to go sit in an office for eight hours doing the same thing. It just doesn't work anymore. In fact, one of the things we decided to look at was the difference in the workforce between virtual versus in-person. And right now, 57.3% of the American workforce wants to be virtual. Think about that number. That is massive. Three years ago, that number was probably 10%. I, I agree. And you know, I will call out, I have, have I, I respect deeply Jerry Seinfeld. I will call him out in his, the one area where he didn't just shit on me in his op-ed mm. in the New York Times about my article, the one area where he tried to say something important is that he said people don't want to work remote. And he said in part because when they're not working remote, they have more ideas. But he said nobody wants to work remote. He was totally wrong. And I knew this then. Even you did, like, actually. I remember you calling this out at the time. Yeah, like, the, every research said at least 50% wanted to work mm -hmm. remote. Now it's even more because working remote is just simply better because you get to do more things in terms of your own personal community, your own personal freedom, and your own personal mastery. Like that happens when you work remote. Yep. And it's not like people like are hiding in a, in, in a bomb shelter. Like they're, they're, they're going to go out and talk to people or fo phone call people. Uh, you know, I've had people on the podcast say one thing they do is at the end of every day, call someone you're close to and, and communicate with them. So you still feel that closeness, even if you live by yourself and, uh, you know, that's people want to work remote and it's not, it, we're not, you, you can't, Pandora's box has been open. You can't close it. Yeah. And, and that's, so I think if people are there, listen, I, I mean, I really do think the labor market's probably one of the most. I mean, it is in your face. It's going to happen. It's it's already happening. If you're trying to manage your team um, from the old way, you're going to lose very quickly. And for us, we're a labor-driven business, so we have to adapt and we have to be on the forefront of this. And that's some of the ways we're looking at it, but that's where the world's going. It, and in fact, I'm going to try to write something soon just on how companies need to adapt based on what we're seeing the data and the things that we've done and, and try to get people... Um, some some help on that front because it, it people everywhere I talk to people are like oh my god I'm so screwed right now. Listen, we went to a nice hotel this summer in um, Park City, Utah, and they the hotel made us pay full price except they were at thirty percent capacity as far as labor, not not hotel guests. <laughs> the hotel is being served at thirty no, percent of what they typically have, but they made me at a sold out hotel pay full price. It's a cliche that. The, the, the mater, first they're the mater D, then you go in the bar and the same guy's the bartender. Right. And then um, yes. you go up to your room and the same guy's like changing your sheets. Yes. Like it's become kind of a joke, but this is what's happening. And I don't 
know where this ends up, but it's not going to, it might revert back a little bit, but it's not going to fully revert back. We're only going to yeah, be moving I, forward from this. Again, totally anecdotal, but we did ask at the, one of the restaurants in the hotel, we asked like, uh, well, where is, what's going on with the labor here? And he said, they got their stimulus checks, right? They never, they, they got, they got furloughed during the pandemic. They got the stimulus checks. They got retrained in another job and they're not coming back. They're not. The people that worked in the hotel, the people that worked in the restaurants, they they're they've gone. They're not coming back. This is what the guy told us. Yeah, and 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 people thought, oh, when the checks run out, they'll come back. That's not true because, like mm -hmm. you said, they learned other things to do. Yep. There's other things than other than working retail at a store on the street. You there's there's so many ways you can make three thousand dollars a month, you know, answering surveys online. Like there's lots of like obscure little ways to to make money that and that kind of gig economy is only growing. I remember, I'll tell you uh, an anecdote for myself. One time I was consulting for LinkedIn. This was in 2014 or 2015. And I asked them what percentage of job searches are related to the gig economy. It was more commonly called the gig mm -hmm. economy then. And they said something like, oh, it's very small, 0.1%. Well, now the last mm -hmm. time I asked them, just like last year, it was around 3%. So again, that's not a huge number, but right. it's 30 times more than it was before. So it's only yeah. growing. And, uh, and, and people ignore things. People don't understand exponential growth. They don't understand that when something's small, but still growing exponentially, it's going to be very big and life-changing in just a right. few years. And yeah. that's what's happened. Uh, but let me ask you this on, um, okay. So what, what about the micro? What about the yeah. marketing trends? So it, again, this is, um, it's a broad look. Every business is different, right? The way we, we look at each individual business's customer base and we can track them online and figure out everything about them. But what we're seeing a trend over and over again is the ineffectiveness of spending money on Facebook right now. Between the iOS updates, which uh, limited the ability to target your typical customer, uh, between the political cancellations and the hate spread on politics, whether it's right or left, there is a very big distrust right now, James, in the consumer marketplace to buy things on Facebook. The people think they're going to get canceled. They're not being targeted like they used to be, so they're not seeing the kind of things that they would typically buy. Um, we are seeing this weird trend over the last six months of consumers have moved away from spending money on Facebook. I guarantee you, anybody listening out there right now that has a business or is marketing their business right now that spent money on Facebook is probably nodding their head yes. Like, yeah, it's exactly what we've seen. Well, well okay, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Like, A, Facebook is easy to put a very low budget on. Like, I could do a, make an ad for $20 and I could still target pretty well. Mm -hmm. What's better? Like, if I wanted to sell, let's say nutritional supplements, it's easy for me to target the right yeah. demographic well, I'm gonna for that. tell you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you where to go. Okay. <laughs> so, but we've also seen a slight trend in a negative way on YouTube ads, um, where, again, this isn't, not, this isn't just like us doing it for clients. It's us looking at these, our clients' data, their customer base, and understanding that their movements have changed. While they're absolutely on Facebook, I'm not saying they've, they've, they've stopped consuming Facebook. They've just stopped buying on Facebook. They don't want to buy because they figure their data is going to be collected. Um, maybe they're going to get canceled if they buy this product. They don't, they don't trust the platform anymore. It's crazy to see what we've seen. And so, you know, and what we've seen, like we were talking, we were, we're working with a company right now. Well, they had a Facebook marketing company 
uh, on their team when they when we came on board, and when we showed them this data about their customers, about the uh, on how Facebook was not a platform they should advertise advertise on, they went, "Oh, or Facebook a marketing agency told us that we should be marketing there." And I'm like, "Well, of course they did." <laughs> they're just in the area of Facebook marketing. Agency. Yeah, I mean, like that's what you have to be careful of. It's like put your energies into where your customers are, not what the marketer tells you 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 should be doing, right? But the other one, here here are the two platforms we've seen people move to, which is crazy. Um, Females have drastically moved over to Pinterest. I mean, on a level I've never seen anything like. Wow, that's so interesting. Like, what do they do there? I I, I don't really, I mean, I've used Pinterest before. I have a Pinterest account, but I don't really wake up thinking, oh, I got to check Pinterest today. Well, I don't think you do. I think it's a predominantly female platform, but it is a platform that we see in our data that female, mostly female consumers totally trust to see products, recognize products, research products, buy products. Like it's crazy how how much, how what a trusted platform. And you know, here's the a common sense way of looking at it. In all of the crazy social media, um, you know, CEOs that have been hauled up in front of Congress. Um, or have had leaks, or have had nefarious memos written about them. Have you heard one thing from Pinterest? No. Right. And so, thus, people are trusting it. So we're. I, but, but I also would think maybe it's so below the radar because people aren't using it. But you're telling no, me people are using no, it. No, you're wrong. Huge, massive, massive, massive platform for females. Like so, so, over, like crazy platform right now. I mean, Pinterest is a public company. Let me just take a look at it for a second. Um, Pins is the symbol, P-I-N-S. And uh, the 52-week high is 90, and it's only 43 now. So we could meet in a year and see if it goes from 43 higher. Yeah, that's a really interesting... I never thought about that, looking at the stock, but it is an interesting one I'm seeing. I'm seeing a massive trend over there, and I think they're going to see the effects of that. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs. And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house... I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. 
Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let me just say a few things I like about Pinterest the stock. I'm not recommending it here, but just, and, and obviously I'm not because this is the first time I've looked at it ever. So first off, they have $2 billion in cash. If you subtract out the debt, they still, they basically have two, $2 billion in free cash. Now you would say, well, that's meaningless if they're losing money because then mm. they'll run out of the cash, but they're making, uh, their operating cash flow is 383 million. So they're only adding to their cash, their year over year revenue growth, 125%. And they're mm. not a new company. They've been around for mm -hmm. 10 years or so. Their, um, inc net income is not so important. I like free cash flow, and that's the 383 million, but they're, you know, the, the, the kind of ratios people care about, the, the forward PE ratio, the price over earnings, the technical details are not so important, sure. is, is a modest 34, which is very reasonable for a tech company, particularly one that's going to maybe double again over the next year. I would say just at a glance, I would look into buying this company, mm -hmm. not recommending it, but I would consider, oh, this is the type of company that looks very good to me. I like that they have essentially no debt, lots of cash and they make money and it looks like they, they're not like overvalued. That, that is a flaw in my thinking. I never even thought about what they look like as a company publicly, the public as a publicly traded company. So thank you for that. That's uh that's really interesting. The other one, and this is going to make you happy, but we have seen a, a massive shift in the last three months on a different platform that people have been talking about for years, but it's finally coming in heavy, and that's audio. Interesting. Audio platform. Spotify, podcasts, uh, iTunes, um, um, yep, everything. iHeartRadio, 
um, regular radio, traditional AM, FM has seen a massive spike. And so, um, and again, it's a trusting platform in, a, in an age where there's not much. We, we've looked at a lot of the privacy issues, and the privacy issues are driving a lot of problems with the platforms right now. And that's why people don't trust to buy things on them. They think their stuff's going to be sold. They think they're, they're going to be exposed at some point, and they could get in trouble. Um, but right now, audio platforms, the platforms in audio and the audio market are, from an advertising marketing perspective, that is where the consumer market is moving more than I've ever seen it. So, so let me ask the obvious question. Like, if I could watch something or listen to something, why wouldn't I watch it? Wait, why couldn't you do both? Yeah, I guess so. And also, are people driving more? Like, usually people listen to podcasts at the mm-hmm. gym, in their car, mm-hmm. or at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now all three of those things don't happen as much. Right, uh, yet the trend is over in that direction, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, because that means there's more kind of authentic interest in choosing audio over video for whatever reason. Right. And so you're saying, but you're saying from an advertising point of view, advertise on podcasts, not on YouTube videos. Right now, as a priority, I wouldn't give up Facebook or YouTube. I just have a different priority. Whereas maybe a year, two years, three years ago, Facebook and YouTube were leading the way and everything that we, you know, let's say you have a budget of a, um, a thousand dollars, right? Maybe 600 of it went to Facebook, 300 went to YouTube and maybe hundred went somewhere else. Right now it's just reversed all the way through. I mean, we're, we're looking at different, um, allocations in the budgets of market of marketing budgets for the clients we work with. Now, um, and, um, and Facebook is definitely, it, it, Facebook is a branding platform, not a conversion platform. Just remember that. that that's, that's it on a bumper sticker. Whereas it used to be a conversion The best platform. conversion platform out there. And now you're saying Pinterest and podcasts. P- Pinterest and any audio platform. So again, Spotify, um, traditional radio, uh, the, those types of places where people can put their earbuds in and listen. That's where we're seeing so much conversion from the consumer market going. So where would you, like, let's say I wanted to advertise this podcast as an mm-hmm. example. Where would I advertise this podcast? Maybe on Pinterest? Yeah, I'd have, I mean, I'd have to look at you. We've done this for you, you know. We looked at your, uh, at yeah. your what I call customers, but, you know, they're your followers. We looked and I don't have it in front of me, obviously. I've, I've done hundreds of these, so I can't remember everything. But I'd want to know where, where their earbuds and where their eyeballs are going. And then I would sit there and recommend a strategy for you and allocate it based on where they're converting, where they're, where their attention is going, and then the messages they want to receive. Like, that's the key of the whole thing. Like, you can be on the right platforms, and if your message sucks, you're not going to get anything. And so what we also, you know, obviously we determine this in, in you, like things that you needed to hyper-focus on uh, to communicate better and meet them where they are. Yeah. All right, so I have to, I want, I want to figure that out. I want to advertise the podcast a little bit. I'll, but, I'll resend your data report over. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so, okay. So Phil, I also want to ask you're the political expert. Okay. Are you, are you lining up for 2024 yet? Are people calling you or candidates calling you and wanting your services? We're, we're involved in a lot of governors and U S Senate races right now. I don't ask me specifically. I know you're Today's going there. Election no, I'm not going to do that. Huh? Today's election day. Today is election day in Virginia and, uh, New Jersey. We're involved in both New York states. City mayor. 
Uh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. We almost were involved in that race. Um, and, uh, but uh, we're involved in New Jersey and Virginia. We feel very good about our candidates there. So, uh, but on the 2024, or excuse me, 2022 side, we're involved in at least, you know, a combined 12, 15 races on governors and senator, U.S. senators right now in Congress, and another five or six on very high-targeted congressional races. So, so let's, let's just, let's just, uh, just for five minutes, let's talk about 2024 presidential campaign. Let's talk about the Democrats first. It feels like, you know, and I'm not saying anything good, bad, or political about any of these candidates and their issues, but just in terms of personalities and popularity, seems like Joe Biden, obviously he'll be a candidate in 2024, but it seems like there will be people running against him on the Democrat side. I don't think he's, I don't think he's got a free pass in the primaries in 2024. I, I, I think the Democrats are still looking for someone who's somewhere in between personality wise and charisma wise, somewhere, somewhere in between a Joe Biden and an AOC, but I don't know who that person would be. I don't disagree, but I would say this, something has to happen. Well, the midterms will determine that the midterm elections. So a year from now, a year from now is a pretty big reckoning for a lot of things in this country. I really believe that. So, you know, you know, we've talked about this in the past, just, you know, I, I think we're coming to a reckoning in this country in a lot of different ways. I don't know how bad that will be. I don't know what will happen, but something weird is going to happen, I feel like, in the next few years. And I think what ha- I think is going to be you know, everything being equal, there's no major scandal or whatever. I think there's going to be a bloodbath for Democrats in November of 2022. I think Congress comes back to the Republicans, both on the U.S. Senate and the House, and then that's going to determine what you just said, that some, the, an alternative steps up to, to challenge Biden on the left. Then again, Clinton lost horribly in the 1994 midterm elections. I mean, the, the Republicans, different, Newt Gingrich took over. Yeah, different world though, man. You know, yeah. and, and like, you know, maybe Biden gets so defeated and his numbers are so down that he just decides I'm done and they try to make, you know, Kamala, um, obviously the heir apparent, and then they try to, you know, surround her and they try to thwart anybody that would come from the left. But you could definitely see that playing out. Okay, so so Republicans, yes, Trump could run, but I feel like also the Republicans need a personality. And, and Trump showed that there wasn't a lot of personalities in the Republican Party. He defeated... He was essentially a non-politician who defeated 18 other candidates in 2016 for the Republican primaries. Who's out there that could run? And I don't know all the names. Is is someone like a Kasich possible? Is a DeSantis? Is a Dan Crenshaw ready for the job? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could see. Uh, well, it all determ- It's all determined by Trump. What does he decide to do? So everybody's going to. Sit, you know, sit on their hands until he makes a decision. If he says he wants to run, do you think what? What do you think will happen? I think he gets a nomination. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I'm going to look at predicted. So yeah, Donald Trump is in the winning. Yeah. Is, is 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 first in first place by a, a long shot on predicted, which is a prediction market. He's got 43 cents. Ron DeSantos second. DeSantis yeah. second with 23 cents. Yeah. Nikki Haley third with uh, seven so cents. Yep. Yeah. I'd say uh, Josh Hawley. I, I'm not looking at it. I'm guessing Josh Hawley. Uh, he's not there, but you know. But then again, really? you have people like. But you know, at this level, below ten cents, it's like you have Mike Pence. Uh, Christine, you know, he, Christine Nome. 
Uh, Christy Nome's there. Yeah. Yep. Let's Ted see. Ted Cruz is there, but he has no chance. Ted Mike Cruz. Pompeo. Pompeo may want to run um, uh, the, the Arkansas um, senator. I can't think of his name right now. Um, so I, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people that um, that are out there. So it's interesting. I guess it's too early to really game. And like you said, uh, if Trump runs, what are the complications if him running? Like, obviously he's engendered a lot of feelings on both sides. Is it is it too much? Can you have someone too controversial run? I, I guess clearly not. But uh, uh, what what what's you know? Will people who are middle of the road vote for Trump? Yeah, I don't. Uh, again, there's just. I mean, I'm not trying to avoid the the question. There's so many unknowns of where this thing goes. Like everything is so turbulent right now, James. I've never seen the turbulence as it is right now in this country. I know. Um, and I don't it, care, like, yes, would it be even more craziness, chaos, riots, all these crime, everything if Trump runs? Yeah. But it'd be the same thing, maybe a little bit less, but a lot of the same thing if DeSantis were to get the nomination, um, if some other candidate, Josh, I mean, Josh Hawley or let's say Christy Nome, a woman governor, they they tear, it'd be, you know, they tear her down. They're going to tear Biden down. They're going to, they, we... My thing is this. Here's a question that popped into my head the other day. Has the political environment ever, it's kind of like we talked about in, in part one with my disease, right? The, in my, with the disease I had, there's never any improvement. It's just a deterioration, right? I'd say the same thing about the political system right now. Have, have we ever seen in the last 30 years things calm down without, outside of a, uh, some crazy event like 9-11 or wherever? It, it feels yes. like, it I just think people constantly has been deteriorating for 30, 40 years now. I would say the 2012 election between Obama and Mitt Romney was a congenial election. Like people weren't at each other's throats. And I felt like the same human being could consider both sides and think about it. Has it Whereas gotten that, better since 2012? No, it's definitely gotten worse because then it was 2016. Right. But I think, I think maybe 2012 was a rare tick up. Right. And An anomaly. Yeah, so I mean, 1998, we were, or sorry, uh, in 1996, we were dealing with potential impeachment stuff. 1992 was Bush Clinton. And that was a war. Yeah, uh, 1988 was the when you first started seeing kind of Correct. this these these racial yep. advertising uh, with the Willie Horton ads and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, you had Gary Hart in 1984, and that's when you start seeing like scandal journalism around politicians. Yeah. Uh, 1990 was Reagan Carter was kind of like, you know, that was a very, they were, they were opposites, you know, and then before that you had, you know, cleaning the country from Nixon before that you had Vietnam. So yeah, before that you had a sitting president not run when he could have Lyndon B. Johnson yeah. 64 was right after Kennedy and Goldwater was accused of, of wanting to start nuclear war if he won. Uh, so yeah, uh, 1960 was almost as contested in the election results as 2000 because you know maybe yeah. JFK manipulated the results. So yeah, it's it's pretty much deteriorated. The only thing I would say is 2012. I felt I could talk reasonably with friends about both candidates without mm -hmm. being yelled at. What about you? Yeah, I mean I I don't know, but I, I just know it's it's been a consistent deterioration. So there's unless the system blows up, which I I here's my belief that in 2016 that was the beginning. Trump's election was the beginning of blowing up our political system, where you could see 
you know, outsiders, you know, I predicted Mark Cuban would run for president in 2016 after Trump. But you could also see where a third party like Andrew Yang's trying to create right now could be viable down the road. And then all of a sudden you're going to see multiple parties like a European model. Uh, There's some kind of massive disruption going on right now. It hasn't sort of worked its way out. It, the first earthquake was Trump in 2016. And what you're just seeing is so, and so you're going to see these third parties try to pick off enough of a majority of the right and the left to kind of win coalitions like they do in the European models. And so, again, that's one way of looking at it. The other is the whole system blows up and I don't know what's going to happen. The states secede. Um, we're, we look more in a European model literally governance-wise than not political party, but like we have multiple countries that are all connected in some way. Let Um, let me ask you, like, what are you afraid of as a worst case scenario? Like what's, let's take a doom and gloom approach. And, you know, our friend uh, Tucker Max, our mutual friend is um, kind of on the, what what he's calling doomer optimism that Mm. things are going to crash and burn, but then a new, you know, good thing will arise. I I don't know. I don't think I'm that, um, I don't think I'm a doomer, but I am scared, you know, that, you know, before the last election, people were talking civil war. I never heard people talk like that before. Well, I wrote about it a year ago or no, a year and a half ago. I wrote that I believed a civil war was coming no matter who won. And I said, in fact, I said, uh, Trump wins, the left's going to go nuts. The Biden wins, and if he were to impose vaccine mandates, then you're going to see everything go crazy on on the right and in other places. But what's interesting, let's just take that one thing. I mean, honestly, I wrote about vaccine mandates in the summer of 2020 as being one of the most disruptive things that could ever happen as far as our country. But what you're seeing right now, let's just talk. take the vaccine mandates. And again, um, I'm a I'm a... If you want to get the vaccine, I think you should get the vaccine. I'm for choice, right? Um, but my point is, is that you're seeing African-American communities, you're seeing Hispanic communities, and you're seeing right-wing communities all coming together over this. And you're seeing on the other side sort of affluent, um, you know, sort of left-wing uh, communities and non-affluent left-wing communities coming together on the other side. And you're seeing medical communities uh, come together on some parts of this. And so uh, split, right? So you're seeing these weird coalitions that are coming together. I- I've never seen the kind of coalitions we're seeing right now. It's so strange. And I think that's going to bear out in a lot of these political elections. And so in the next, you know, from, from 2021 uh, in Virginia and New Jersey to 2022 in the midterms. So it is, that's where it's going to show its face first. And then we'll see what the fallout comes from that. Well, uh, Phil, it's going to be exciting. And it's going to be exciting to keep pace with what I like about always talking to you is you have definitive things that you said that we could keep track of and, and look <laughs> back and see the results. And you've been so dead on in everything. And I appreciate because I've been using I, things that you've suggested and ideas you've suggested. And Oh, I got one. One more. Yeah, one more. This will me. be real quick. Real quick. One of the things that we're seeing in the messaging of marketing right now is if you are an American company, say American made, the supply chain issue is such a, uh, a, a stressful thing on businesses that if you're able to say uh, our company is American made, American manufactured, then people go, oh, I'll buy that because it's not going to be disrupted for my, my life. So we've started instituting that in a lot of our corporate client campaigns, media campaigns, 
that they're American-made business. And that has been crushing for us right now. I could see that. You know, it's so funny because, you know, like, for instance, right now, I'm still in the process of building what I call as a Zoom competitor. And we see in a lot of the platforms that are in this space that they're all routing their video through China or Taiwan. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, some countries have, have problems with these platforms because a lot of the video processing happens outside the U.S. and people want U.S. even for video, even for their video processing, not just for, you know, their clothes and their food and stuff like that. In a weird way, again, I know this can sound political. I don't mean it to, but like Trump kept saying we need to bring our manufacturing back to the States, right? And what you're seeing now is people coming around to that message. So if, like, let's just go back to the original conversation. If Trump were to run, that would be the message I would tell him to run on, which is, yep, Amer American-made, American manufacturing, let's bring it back here. Uh, let's get it. We've got to get out of China. We've got to get out of other markets where the supply chain's being disrupted. Yeah, and, and look, the reason that historically we've shifted to those other markets is because they were, quote-unquote, cheap labor. Cheap. But, but A... It, it, the, the living conditions of that cheap labor are miserable. Now, would it be better if they didn't have us? Probably not, but, you know, whatever. But the other thing is, it's not like there's going to be, things are moving from human labor to robot labor anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's not like suddenly those horrible working conditions are going to be replicated here. Right. It's going to be like Amazon warehouses where it's like all robotic. So, uh, you know, the nature of labor is changing. So there's no reason not there's no reason not to bring it back here and avoid the supply chain issues we're currently facing. Yep, exactly. So that was my last little tip. I forgot to tell. Well, Phil, thanks so much once again. You are a regular guest and a good friend. And in part one, we discussed not only your health, but your your philosophy on moonshots. Mm. And here we talked about the economy and politics. And I'm glad you're you're feeling better. Please keep us up to date on that. And thanks once again. Yeah, thanks, James. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.